Greetings and welcome to the program. I want to talk to you a little bit on this episode just about the supernatural world in which we live. You see, we live in a supernatural world. We live in a world in which dragons are real, demons are real, angels are real, and the God who speaks all of those things into existence with his very words and holds it together with his words is quite real. There are spiritual forces, seraphim, cherubim, who are very real. There is more that meets the eye in the world in which we live. We live in a day and age in which materialistic, naturalistic, Darwinian evolutionism rules the day, and everything is science. All that's here is here. It's so false, it's so boring, it's so 2D, it's actually pretty entirely ir- irrational to believe that. It's a naturalistic, materialistic Darwinian evolution is irrational. Because we live in a world in which resurrection from the dead is completely and entirely rational. Resurrection from the dead in this world in which we live is completely rational. Think of Paul before Agrippa in the book of Acts. You know, Festus gets up when he's giving his testimony to Agrippa. He says, you're mad. Your your learning has driven you crazy, Paul. Paul says, no, I'm not mad. It's completely rational. Resurrection of the dead. You know, there's lots of resurrections in the Bible, not just Jesus, of course. It's amazing. And centrally important as that is, there's lots of resurrections in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha raises up a boy from the dead. Of course, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And you know, when Jesus was crucified, this is one of the things that gets so overlooked when we talk about uh, Jesus' death. But, you know, when if you look at Matthew 27... Jesus died, and people, you know, the curtain torn to, all these amazing events happened, you know, his death, the sky was dark, the sun went black, temple curtain torn in two, and people came out of the tombs. The saints who were resting there dead came out of the graves. They rose from the dead. They resurrected and walked around Jerusalem. It's absolutely fascinating. Go read that Matthew 27. And of course, Jesus himself rises from the dead. There's other examples we can go to, but just a few there. You know, we live in a world that is full of real things all around us that we cannot see. We live in a world in which real things are all around us that we can't see. think of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 and I think this is dealing with Elijah I hope I'm not getting the prophet wrong there I think it's prophet Elijah it's either him or Elisha sometimes you get those guys mixed up but the king of Syria there in 2 Kings 6 he kept having his plans foiled and he 
just knew that some of his own men had to be uh, a rat, essentially, uh, giving his plans away. But one of his servants comes and tells him, no, no, it's, it's the man of God. He can hear everything you say in your bedroom. <laughs> so the king of Syria decides, well, we've got to go get this. Where is he at? Let's go get him. Let's go capture him. So they go, they find out where he is, they surround, you know, the Syrian army surrounds the place where Elijah is, and Elijah's servant boy sees this army, and he, of course, is concerned, he runs to tell Elijah, what are they going to do? Elijah tells him, do not, you know, fear not, because there are more with us than are with them. The boy's like, what in the world are you talking about? And Elijah prays, and he says, God, open his eyes so that he can see. God does. He opens his eyes and the boy looks around and all of a sudden he sees a massive angel army firing chariots and horses, protecting them. And then Elijah prays and God strikes the Syrian army blind. <laughs> so he opens the one boy's eyes and then he blinds the other eyes so they can't even see anything. The one boy can see the spiritual things and the whole Syrian army can't even see physical things right in front of them anymore. Then Elijah leads him away, and, you know, that's it. But the world is full of things, battles being fought, that we can't even see all around us. You know, we live in a world in which the weather, the plants... The animals, they all obey a voice that we can't hear. They obey a voice that we can't hear. We live in a moral world. We live in a moral world where creation, as created by God, because it's His world, His creation, and He's a moral God, He the creation reacts to our immorality. The creation responds to the morality or immorality of the people living in it. Think of the passage around Leviticus 18 where God is talking to Israel about the pagan nations who have, you know, he's talking about their sexual immorality and then how they, you know, from that ended up sacrificing their children to Moloch and there's, they polluted the ground. They polluted the land with the bloodshed, sexual immorality. And then it says that the land vomited them out. The land spewed them out. God's telling Israel, you know, you know, you don't go and do what they did or else that's going to happen to you too. The land's going to revolt against you and, and, and vomit you out. There's an interesting passage in the prophet Hosea where he's, the Lord's talking about this people who he's upset with for their bloodshed and immorality and uh, sins. And it says the land is in anguish. And then it says the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea are taken away from them. 
It's fascinating. The, the land itself are not neutral. The animals are not neutral. They're they're lived in God's world. You know, sometimes us humans we sin and go off and do kooky things, deny God and live in sin. But these animals, this creation, the plants, birds, they're living in God's world. They react a certain way. They respond a certain way. They revolt and rebel against the people living in the land. The land revolts and rebels against the people. It's immoral. In fact, I was reading an interesting, very, very great article just recently from Dr. Gordon Wilson. He was talking about the decline in the bird population. And he really did directly to this passage in Hosea 4. It's where I, I thought of this. Talking about the prince of the air being taken away because of the immorality. And you think about the different animals going extinct or endangered species or the climate changes and disasters. These are not random events. These are not random things. This is God's world and they react certain ways to the you know the land vomits people out. You know at the beginning I mentioned that dragons are real. Dragons are real. And I I I like to use that term a lot. When I talk about these things, and I was asked about what in the world am I talking about? Dragons are real. Here's, it's it's a fun thought. I was glad I was able to have that conversation. I want to talk about it here for just very briefly. My use of the term dragon is symbolic of the antithesis to the Christian. That's why I'm using the term. It's. I'm not talking about literal dragons walking around, although I have no problem believing they once existed. But the dragon is symbolic of the antithesis to the Christian. And the world in which we live in, the supernatural world, God communicates to us in various ways and has communicated differently at different points in history. And now we live in an age where he is spoken to us through his son as Hebrews 1 tells us in his word but one of the ways that God has speaks to us in his word and did so in redemptive history was through symbols God has spoken to us quite a bit in symbolic language and so in a supernatural world symbols are a valid means of communication and so we need to know as Christians Living in a supernatural world, how do we understand, how do we use and interpret and know rightly what symbolic language is and how do we, how do, we do this? First, I believe in, you know. The fact is that just because symbols are not necessarily physical, sometimes they may be physical, but, you know, when I talk about the dragon, you know, I'm not talking about a physical being. Just because symbols are not material or physical does not mean they are any less real. Symbols are not less real because they are symbols. Symbols are a valid means of communication. And God 
loves to communicate in symbols to us. We have a book full of it. But I said that the dragon is symbolic of the antithesis to the Christian. And why do I why do I say that? That's that's really one of the main storylines of the Bible. Beginning way back in the book of Genesis, you know, the serpents there tempting Adam and Eve to sin. Of course they do, and Genesis three, and God is cursing you know, Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And Genesis three fifteen, God curses the serpent, but it's also a gospel promise where He says, you know, the seed of the woman will, will, you know, you'll bruise his heel, serpent, but he will bruise your head. That's where we get the idea of Christ being a stomping on the head of the serpent, the serpent crusher, crushes the serpent's head. And from that point on in Genesis three fifteen, you can trace that theme going on of that. Uh, antithesis between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent all the way of course culminating in the cross of Christ and Christ triumphs and then you get to Revelation chapter 12 Revelation 12 talks about you know it's this vision of this pregnant woman who gives birth and the dragon's there and he tries to snatch up the baby but the child is taken up to heaven and sat down on the throne of God of course that's Jesus Christ and the dragon is uh, gets in this war there's a war that breaks out in heaven and Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon and his angels are fighting and going back and forth and the dragon is defeated and he's thrown down to the earth out of heaven. There's no longer any place in heaven for him. He's thrown down to the earth with his angels. He's mad and so he's he rage now since he can't, since he's been thrown out of heaven, he has nowhere to go but on the earth and so he he then spends his time going after the seed of the woman. And then it's pronounced, though, in that same chapter that now the kingdom of heaven is here. You know, I believe that Revelation was written in uh, before 70 AD. And it was about events that were to shortly take place after it was written. Events that would soon take place in time and in history symbolized by these great images we see in the book of Revelation that actually took place via historical events and theological events spiritual supernatural events and so we see that very clearly that makes absolute sense the Re Re revelation 12 the sun is seated on the throne satan's thrown down the accuser is thrown out of heaven. He can't accuse you before the throne room of God. So now he prowls around the earth like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he's limited. He's restrained. He's a defeated foe, you know, just kind of raging, you know, his last few minutes of life. The kingdom of heaven is here. We triumph in the blood of the Lamb. But whether or not you take Revelation 12, as I do, is an event happening. 
already before the year 70 AD or culminating in that year at least. You can see those biblical themes. The reality that we live in a world in which there, the ancient serpent, the dragon, was thrown down out of heaven. His rage is taken out against the seed of the woman. It's the world in which we live, and it's the, he's the antagonist in the Christian story. That we live in the supernatural world with spiritual beings and forces and fights, and we have the Spirit of Christ within us, the one who triumphed, the one who is seated on the throne, the King of the heavens and the earth with all authority and we have the power in the word of the gospel that binds the power of the devil that triumphs and tramples the serpent underfoot this is the world that we live in a supernatural world I was reading Athanasius not too long ago on the Incarnation. And he's in one section of the book he's talking about why Christ had to be had to die the way that he did. Why did he have to die the way that he did? And he was talking about how he was lifted up in the cross in the air. He was lifted up in the air on the cross. Why that way? Well there's lots of multiple different reasons why. He had to die the way he had to die. But one of the things that Athanasius said, I never heard this before, I thought it was pretty good. You know, in the Bible, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. And so Athanasius says that Christ had to be lifted up into the air in order to be, uh, to defeat the prince of the power of the air and be the new king. Be the new king. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it was coherent. It's late at night and I'm pretty tired. So I hope this was a coherent, enjoyable episode for you all. Thanks for listening.